This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome into the KSO show. I am Mason Voth, joined by Derek Young. We are from K-State Online, bringing you uh, the best and uh, the most comprehensive Cats coverage over on On3. And we come to you on this Wednesday, December 6th, with some not very fun conversations. Because Colin Klein, after being a little weary that he would leave for the Notre Dame job last year, he did not end up doing that. He stayed in Manhattan. Uh, just before the basketball game last night, the the TV reporter down in Houston threw out the the message of, "Hey, he's been offered the A and M job. He turned down Penn State last week." Which at first, even still, it is very funny that Colin Klein turned down Penn State and Andy Kotelnicki ended up with the job. Um, that is funny in itself. What came after that? Not so funny because there became serious momentum that Colin Klein would take the Texas A&M offensive coordinator job and join their new head coach, Mike Elko, down there. That is indeed the case now. Uh, Colin Klein off to Texas A&M. K-State only gets two seasons with him as their offensive coordinator. It resulted in a Big 12 title and one of, if not the Big 12's best offense over the last two seasons. Uh, How did this all come about, and, and where is your surprise level in terms of Colin Klein, number one, getting this offer, and then the fact that he actually took it. Pretty, pretty stunned, right? Um, because I guess I was just, and I say common sense, but I was saying, if you don't take Notre Dame, you don't take Penn State, there's rumor that the Alabama job was floating there for him at 1.2. If you don't take those jobs, I just... I guess I assumed that Kansas State was out of the woods. And now we find out that they aren't. I, I guess I don't have a ton of more commentary to give you, but that, that's the reasoning. I thought I knew teams would still keep coming for them, right? Because they did it after year one, and they already did it this offseason when Penn State had to resort to Kotelnicki, and you knew other teams were sniff, sniffing around. But at the end of the day, I just thought Kansas State was out of the woods because he had turned down his opportunities prior to this one. It's interesting that A&M is the one he jumps on, right? You wonder what was the inflection point, what was the trigger that decided none of those other 
parallel lateral programs to A&M were good enough for him, but A&M was. Maybe it's a, a head coach in Mike Elko that has enough staffing flexibility because he hasn't made all of his hires yet to give Colin Klein some power there that maybe otherwise wouldn't have somewhere else that already had an established coaching staff. Yeah, the, this is one of those deals where, I mean, I, I thought initially it was like, well, okay, that's fine and dandy that they can offer this to him, but you know, if you're turning down some of these others, why would you choose A&M? Um, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, it, it just comes down to what Notre Dame and obviously Penn State then left out there. They had the prestige of the job. You go to one of those schools, you're in a you're in a different class than K State. But obviously, you know the the money thing. There wasn't enough of a difference. And uh, at some point, like this is this doesn't make Colin Klein a bad guy. It doesn't mean he he dislikes K State. Uh, in any fashion or any less like this is just one of those deals where even in a situation where you have a lot of love in your heart and you you feel like you should be somewhere if you get an opportunity that has a lot more money attached to it like you get into a position where you become silly to to not you know take it because you, you you have a family you have all these other obligations and there's also a status thing that comes with this like Colin Klein's obviously on a pretty good trajectory right now in his coaching career. And I do think that he could probably have ended up, you know, if, if, if Chris Klein is going to be here for a while and all indications seem to uh, point towards that he will be, then Colin Klein was not going to be the head coach at K state at any time soon. But he, I think he could have gone to become a head coach from being the offensive coordinator at K state. What this does though, is Colin Klein successful in two years at Texas A&M. I mean, he, he's he's not only a head coach somewhere in two years, he's a power five head coach. And honestly, like he can get one of those fringe SEC jobs or somebody with real money would come at him and say, you're our guy if he can create a, a fantastic offense at Texas A&M. Like that's where he's putting himself into in addition to, you know, obviously the financial gains that come from this move to Texas A&M. I'm not saying it, it shouldn't hurt to K-State fans. It absolutely should. Um, it's always unfortunate when somebody that, you know, you feel like is your own, and obviously Colin is, uh, makes this decision and goes somewhere else. And it's it's tough. Like, we can write it off with other guys. Like the Sean Snyder KU thing, we can write it off because we know that Sean Snyder is pretty spiteful, or at least there are elements of spite to what he's doing there. This one hurts because, like, this is – Obviously, if Colin Klein was getting paid the same same money at K-State and Texas A&M, I would imagine he probably doesn't leave K-State. But Texas A&M's in a total different ballpark, as they've showcased by how much in buyout money they could give to Jimbo Fisher and how they're they're going to pay. They're aggressive. And I, you know, I would almost venture to guess that this is one of those deals where this is like the AM administration is building like a super staff. And maybe Mike Elko had some say, and I'm sure he wasn't against Colin Klein. But this feels almost like more of a move that the athletic director said, hey, we had kind of this team look over some possible hires for you. Here's who we really think we should go after. And they didn't want to whiff. They want to do this right this time because the more A&M misses out and makes mistakes, they become a bigger laughingstock in an SEC that's getting more talented and bigger with OU and Texas coming. So they have to get it right this time. And uh, obviously Colin Klein, they feel like, is a giant piece to that puzzle. Yeah, and, you know, based on everything that I've learned in the last, what, about 16 hours, I would imagine that you're right about 
the super staff idea and they're saying this is probably a good way to go. But I think this was probably Elko's guy all along as well, or at least the thought of when he took the job, right? Because, you know, based on things that are unfolding, it sounds like Colin Klein's going to have the ability to make some of the offensive hires on the coaching staff. And you don't do that unless the head coach really wants you. So I think that's part of it. You're right in that you can parlay one or two years of very high success as a Texas A&M play caller to a very wide array of jobs, right, in the Power Five. Uh, what I will say is that he didn't have to leave Kansas State to get the Kansas State head coaching job. So it's interesting to me that he still chose to leave because, one, that says that he didn't want to be patient enough or didn't think that there was going to be an opening soon enough in Kansas yeah. State to reward him as soon as he would like with the head coaching job in Manhattan. Or two, he just maybe isn't cutting it or, you know, isolating himself to only the Kansas State job, which is a little concerning. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I just view it as a guy that, you know, you, you realize what your worth is and what your your talent level is, and you say, "Look, I can I can keep doing this for however long, and I really enjoy it." And obviously, I I would think that the ultimate goal for Colin Klein would be that he would love nothing more than be to be the head coach at K State. But he's probably a guy that, yeah. But he's probably a guy that if he's that good of a coach, he can probably recognize it as well. And and Chris Kleiman and understands, look, I don't think Kleiman's going anywhere anytime soon. And I can always make that move back if if I want to and if that opportunity comes. But I think he's going to be there a while, so I might as well get my clock started somewhere else and see what happens and and how things go. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the, the right decision, we don't know what it is until uh, everything plays out over the course of a couple of years. But it certainly stings for K-State right now. Puts them in a really tough spot with you know you got the bowl game in 22 days you've got signing day in less than that um you've got an and the transfer portal obviously is popping off you have so many things this time of year that uh, it's tough and obviously this is when coaching carousel stuff goes on but this is a, a tough spot for k-state and probably the biggest element to what the colin klein leaving for a&m thing does to the k-state fan base and everybody that's wondering is where does that leave the status of Avery Johnson at K-State? Because obviously losing Colin Klein is a big blow. He has done numerous things to make this K-State offense not only more successful on the field, but also off the field in terms of recruiting. I mean, we've talked about it numerous times this year and, you know, in, you know, before we were even working together years past. Like, Colin Klein being the offensive coordinator at K-State gave them the opportunity – to start to infuse more talent at like the wide receiver spot. And the offense was in a position where it was becoming more attractive to different players to want to come to Kansas state. If you were to lose Avery Johnson, which I'm sure a lot of people's minds go to, you know, you lose your offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach that was able to kind of sell the dream to him. Uh, that would be the absolute worst case scenario and probably the biggest blow to K state football in a long, long time. Uh, where do you, expect the impact to fall with Avery Johnson uh, in, in Colin Klein? I don't know. I think I will say this early indications are promising, but I don't know that we have our answer yet because 
things can always change on a whim. Um, your report, your reporting, uh, and when you're in the media, you're reporting in in this new era where you get the NIL and transfer portal intersecting, and it can get a little, you know, complicated because of that. You're reporting sometimes the the life of a report doesn't last long at all. So mm-hmm. I, I can say it sounds promising now, but it could be not promising in two hours. So yeah. take it for what it's worth and with a grain of salt. But I think early indications are strong and are positive. Um, that doesn't mean that it is eternal. So that, that's where it stands right now with Avery Johnson. Yeah. Uh, going Going beyond that is that if he chooses to leave – and I don't think he's going to follow Colin Klein to Texas A&M, for the record. If he were to enter the transfer portal, he's going somewhere else. He's not going to Texas A&M. But if he were to go to the portal, I mean, it's about as doomsday as it could possibly be. And and I mm-hmm. I hate saying that, and I don't say that lightly. I'm typically a pretty positive and an optimistic person that tries to find the glass hole half-full scenario. There is not one if Avery Johnson leaves. Because Avery Johnson leaving – Heck, I don't really know if you have a scholarship quarterback on the roster at that point. I don't think you do. You probably have other offensive guys consider the same thing. Yep. Because they they have all their their Avery guys at this point, the ones that are staying. Um, and are they going to stay when they don't even know who their quarterback is? You would have to rebuild everything from the ground up almost. And that doesn't even include hiring offensive coordinator. So to be and, and these two things kind of go hand in hand, but number one goal is to not even hire an offensive coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> number one goal is to keep Avery Johnson, but yeah. to do that, you have to hire an offensive coordinator that he's probably um, supportive of. So yeah. those two things do go hand in hand. What I will say is, like as a fan, or and this is what I would say <laughs> to fans, the way you got to see it is that. If Avery Johnson stays, things are going to be fine. If he doesn't, it's going to be a rough, rough, rough off season, and maybe next year, probably next season. So a lot rides on this. Um, it sucks that they're in this position, but it is what it is at this point. So a lot rides on that, and it'll be interesting the path forward. But again, I will say this. Two things. One, one. If Avery Johnson come, is, comes back and has given it at least a year with his boys, things are great. Two, even if he if he doesn't, short term, things get a little ugly and uncomfortable. Long term, still, I, I would. This isn't the death knell of Kansas State football, though. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not going back to the '80s because of this. But it's going to take a recovery period where you, you could have some struggling seasons. Yeah, it. I mean, it, it sets you back in a big way. I mean, it, you're right to use the term doomsday. If, if if Avery Johnson is to leave, and it's not it's not just the fact that you lose, obviously, this awesome talent in state that everybody is so excited for. Like, I I don't think there has been a player that K State fans have been this excited about in my, in my lifetime in terms of from like before they even got to K State to where the hype still is this year. And what that sets up if he is to leave is 
I mean, you're you're down to one quarterback who was a walk-on this year, and you're looking around for answers. And like you said, other offensive guys probably enter the the portal then. And you just it, it's a it's a major blow, and you've got to try and rebuild this thing back up in a way that you really didn't anticipate. Uh, because the one thing that you at least had when you know Chris Kleiman took over a a roster that wasn't very stable in terms of its depth was you had a quarterback in place that you trusted and liked in Skylar Thompson in 2019. And then obviously there was a, you know, an awkward transition to Adrian Martinez, but it ultimately ended up working out with Will Howard. And now you feel like you're set here. This, this disrupts that process and it just puts you in a really tough spot. And I mean, at the end of the day, I logically speaking, it, at this stage in his career, does it not feel like the best option, like NIL wise, for Avery Johnson would be at K State? I know obviously there's the actual football side of this that matters a ton too, because if you're that talented, you've got other aspirations and the football is still important. But obviously the NIL plays a factor. And I, you know, he's obviously a talented dude and teams would shell it out for him. But I'm not sure that his impact quite yet without playing, you know, many snaps can be what it is at K-State as the local guy and the, you know, basically the the guy that's in the prophecy like Anakin Skywalker. Uh, it, I think if I were Avery Johnson because of the very lucrative and comfortable NIL package I already have at Kansas State and the relationships that I've probably formed with my teammates – I would stick it out of Kansas State a year, especially for my love and loyalty to the university and to that roster and to the coaches that are staying, even if Klein is leaving, just because this is what I committed to. And I can be the loyal guy that kind of resurrects this or saves this, right? Uh, he has a golden opportunity to even be more of a savior than what people already adore him as yeah, at this true. point. Um, his, his, his light could shine even brighter if he does this and he's already being taken care of NIL wise to do that. Um, I think that's in the best interest of his career because you're not guaranteed anything when you transfer somewhere else, especially when most of these places are going to have an older guy that you might have to compete with or battle with and, the NIL and other places, he could probably get that. But uh, assuming he's the unquestioned starter, there's just not a ton of places out there that'll provide him with the clearest path to being the starter that he actually has at Kansas State. So that's that gives me a little bit of comfort. But again, this office coordinator is probably going to be impactful in that way because he's going to want to trust and be supportive of that person as well and be like he's in good hands. So We'll see what happens, but you do have to still take that into consideration that your best situation, playing time, plus you're already getting taken care of NIL, might be still at Kansas State. Um, and at least might be worth going a year with your boys that you just formed with a tight relationship with for that year, uh, giving it a year and see how we're going to rock and if we can rock. Um and then at that point, it's it's up to Kansas State to do what they can and what they have to do. That's Chris Kleiman and the offensive staff that 
whatever the offense staff looks like to put their best foot forward so they can get more of them just that one more year. Well, what what does it what does it look like then in terms of what the options can be offensive coordinator wise for K State? Because I mean it's it's one of those deals where you know Chris Kleiman's a defensive coach. Uh, he's also a guy that he does he doesn't have any Power Five experience or FBS experience until he was the head coach at K State. So how how wide is the network and and what should a search for an offensive coordinator look like for K State? You got to hire someone that still plays a modern brand of offensive football <laughs> because it was it was Avery's because a lot of this is kind of, people I hate this a lot of this is about keeping Avery Johnson happy right mm-hmm. <laughs> and making him I, feel I, like- honestly the the entire hire because you said it best you know early on like Avery Johnson can can make an average offensive coordinator do great things. This entire hire, I mean, even if you feel like, okay, this thing could go to crap in three or four years and we got to get started new, whatever you have to do to keep Avery Johnson happy with this hire, that's what you do here if you're K-State. I think so. People hate giving that power to someone that's probably 19 or 20 years old, but guess what? Um, Kansas State's fate in the immediate future rests in Avery Johnson's hands. It really does. Um, I'm sure he knows that at this point. That's probably a lot of pressure for him. And it's probably a lot of pressure for the rest of the coaching staff because, you know, if they don't know that, they better know that and they better find out quickly. Um, so it'll be interesting, but I think it's still someone that's got to be introducing or maintaining a modern brand of offensive football that Avery Johnson wants to play. In. I mean, that's what it's about. Is that promoting someone internally? Is that going and getting someone? I don't know. Um not that there's any connection between this guy and the current Kansas State coaching staff because I don't know of one. And not that I've heard that he's a candidate because I haven't. So don't don't rush to conclusions or think that I'm saying things in between the lines here. But Brandon Marion, of the offensive corner at UNLV that I've seen post as a a guy, a guy that Kansas, Kansas State should chase, I agree with. That's that's an offensive style of football that I think would you know, make Avery Johnson happy. And he's a proven really good coach. He was a wide receivers coach at Texas. Um, he was, a, well, for Steve Sarkeesian, I believe, he was a wide receiver coach at Pittsburgh when they had Jordan Addison before he transferred to USC. So he's a guy that can really develop that part of the, the offensive game. I'm not saying that Chris Kleiman's going to go call that guy today. He might not. I don't know of any prior connections. There doesn't have to be a prior connection as far as I'm concerned. But at least I don't know of anything that would link those two together just yet. But you, know, you asked me someone specific, I throw that name out because he's a young, bright offensive mind, and Kent State needs to go along that route, in my opinion. Now, I also said before to Colin Klein, you know, he's now at Texas A&M. I think part of the part of the the allure of him going there was that that he gets to make some of the hires. I think to build out the rest of the offensive staff. You know, you hear rumors about a tight end coach, a wide receiver coach, an analyst. And if you're Kansas State, you're kind of looking around like, uh, we don't want to lose these guys that are yeah. already in this post. So, um, but I will say if Klein does that, man, he's really trending his way to being a villain. So we'll see if he actually plucks away from the Kansas State coaching yeah. staff. Yeah, should I should I, should I, I take this down right now, D.Y.? Is that what you're saying? I should take well, the, 
Well, how would you feel if he took two or three coaches or assistants away from, well, or you well, know, away from Kansas State that it could also hinder their ability to retain? We'll just we'll just put, we'll just tuck this away for a little bit. It'll it'll face against the wall. Well, actually, I'll flip it around and uh, we can look at the uh, Samsung Galaxy S3 that was big at the time uh, that K State was number one in the country. So we're uh, you know even though. I've never owned a Samsung product in my life, uh, I guess, except the TV, but I, I was gifted that. So whatever. Uh, look, I, this is a tough situation for K-State. I, I don't know what to, to expect from this. Um, but as I, honestly, like to keep optimism in people, I, I think you and I both agree, at least for the next year, Avery Johnson's best option is still at K-State. And for a lot of different reasons, you should have faith that, Chris Kleiman will go out there and make the right hire um, because he's he's been able to bring a strong staff into K-State before, and uh, he'll be able to, to likely do it again. But as long as you keep Avery Johnson, I think you salvage this a little. It's not as big of a deal, and I can stomach it a bit more. But if this does trigger a trickle-down effect where it's Colin Klein goes to A&M, Avery Johnson decides – this isn't what I signed up for at K-State. And as much as I love being the, the in-state hero and everything, I got to move on. Uh, and he's gone. That really stings. And that that does put Klein in a more villainous light. And then, obviously, if he starts taking other staff members to go with him down there, that's a significant deal as well. So this this is a tough spot. It's tricky. It's never fun. Uh, for for anybody, like it's not fun for K State fans, and I'm I'm sure it's not fun for Colin Klein. Like, it might be pretty sweet when you know he he's checking Commerce Bank in a couple of weeks, and he's like, dang, the A and M money hits a little different. But uh, I don't think that like he he is excited about spurning K State for this opportunity. It's obviously something that he had to think pretty hard about, and you know there was conflicting moments for him, but. At the end of the day, when you have a family and you have a lot of other things and aspirations, you get an opportunity like this where the money probably becomes too good to pass up. And obviously the opportunity here, like I think succeeding as the coordinator at AM puts you in a different stratosphere than even if he had succeeded at Notre Dame or Penn State. Um, I just think it, it, it speeds up his track uh, even more so. So that is the, the notes on Colin Klein as he is leaving K-State to head to Texas A&M. Yet again, the Texas A&M Aggies pull a fast one on K-State football and and screw them in ways that are just unimaginable. So it's all it's always Texas A&M. Always Texas A&M. Golly. Uh, speaking of K-State football, before we shift into basketball, real quick, uh, let's talk about the transfer portal for the Wildcats. They've had a handful of more guys go in there since we talked about it last. Uh, we know the entire quarterback room is gone. Will Lee is into the portal now, uh, and then they've lost some other guys. Anthony Frias, a running back, is gone. May not be any running backs uh, on, on the, the bowl game roster outside of DJ Giddens. Uh, and then Nate Matlack is probably another significant one that everybody is aware of that has gone into the transfer portal. So what is uh, the, the thought process on the current state of the portal for K-State in terms of what they've lost, what happens there, and then uh, where they should start hunting for guys to come in? The only one that really stung or disappointed the coaching staff was Nate Matlack. Everything else was either anticipated, um, encouraged, or 
predict 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 it right um but i do think there's more coming uh, and it's guys like basically that have a covid year left or guys that were not um going to contribute in another season so you know you still you still look at you're waiting and see if something happens like with an rj garcia with a Jaden jackson or with a brendan mott um those are the three that kind of come to mind for me and aside from that, can't think of anything too much just yet. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, the, this, what, Trains of World is over almost another month. So yeah. surprises will probably happen. Uh, they had. I say had. Maybe they have. Um, I just don't know how things get affected when you bring in uh, visitors from the transport portal that are on the offensive side of the ball or even high school recruits do, how that affects when you don't have your offensive coordinator. Um, yeah. that That's interesting because, like, they have Davon Rice, a high school running back, coming in this weekend for an official visit. They they have an offensive lineman transfer coming in um, as well for a visit. Uh, the Butler defensive lineman, and then I think one other one. I think they had at least four others booked for the following weekend. But does the Klein stuff – do you run into a wall there? I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll have to. Uh, I will say, see. yeah, I'll say that. Um, in the past, Colin Klein has taken has been patient and taking his good old time with hires, and I understand that's a process that he believes in, and maybe he sticks with that. But I think with the current situation, he needs to. I believe he needs to accelerate that. Yeah timetable you gotta act fast in this situation the 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 circumstances are a lot more dire this year than than what they've been in the past in terms of what you need to accomplish and just how significant next year will be for k-state so we'll see how it ends up uh going on from there hey let's focus on something positive real quick uh even even though there had been some negativity recently uh, a lot of it coming from me k-state got a pretty significant win in basketball last night 72 to 71 in overtime over Villanova, a big-time win for K-State against a marquee opponent in, in Villanova who, you know, maybe this year things aren't going to go uh, necessarily as well as they have in the past. I think Kyle Neptune looked like a very frustrated coach after that loss last night, but that's still a significant win. K-State played better in that game no matter how good or bad Villanova is this year. They're better than North Alabama and Oral Roberts. They, they played close to a full game. I thought guys were locked in. There are obviously still some of the same struggles that we've talked about and are concerned about with K-State basketball, but winning that game was massive because now it sets you up and makes you feel like you can win out in non-conference play, put yourself in a good spot. Uh, before we talk about anything that happened in that game, just in your eyes, how impactful is the win last night for K-State over Villanova? Yeah, it's big because like it's kind of a resume builder even – if, if Villanova doesn't go to the NCAA tournament, I think there's still a chance that they could. Um, but they are 6-4, and four, but they've played a tough schedule. They've actually beat some tough teams. They beat North Carolina, um, but then lost to the you know basically everybody in the Big Five. So uh, a weird season is unfolding for them. But that win, I think, over time, is still going to look pretty solid to the committee when things when it comes to Bear. Like when, you, when you're the selection committee and you're looking at Kansas State in March, you see early losses to USC and Miami. It's like, okay, this team tested themselves. We like that. Then you say, and they still beat 
two Big East teams in Providence and Villanova. So you could say what you want about how this non-conference slate was put together, how it's unfolded, but it's been favorable so far because you took you got two really good wins and you don't have a bad loss yet. So they're doing what they need to do. And 4-0 is now on the table for that stretch that we talked about before when you go Villanova, LSU, Nebraska, Wichita State. So, I, look, the Wildcats, uh, are, it, I think it's very meaningful and, and gets them feeling better about themselves. I'm big on that. I know not everybody is, but when you feel good about yourself and what you are doing, you play better. And also, this is a team that's still trying to get into the swing of things when it comes to what the coaches want to do, the offense that they're running, cohesion defensively. Sometimes it's buy-in, sometimes it's belief. A win like that validates a message of the coaching staff, and it's easier for the players to be like, these guys know what they're talking about. We're going to keep listening, keep listening. And then, it, you know, you just stack and grow from there. Yeah, I, I think it's just I think it's big for momentum and everything else and probably to get guys to realize, okay, we can do this like we are the real deal. And hopefully it leads to more confidence from Arthur Kaluma. I think Tyler Perry is a guy that could probably use more we're, more confidence, less thinking. Yeah. Uh, we're learning that um uh, he is definitely Mr. Big Shot, not afraid of the moment. Um it's still tough with him and the ball in his hands in, in the final possession because he's so small and can be taken advantage of that. He had the turnover in regulation, I believe. But he also still has a knack for the big play. We we talk about the three against North Alabama and then the, the, the go-ahead three in overtime against Villanova, obviously. But what people forget is that loose ball. Yeah. When they were down 71 to 67, I think, mm-hmm. and they're about to they're turn it over. They basically did turn it over. He still dives across the floor, grabs that loose ball away from two other Villanova players, still has the wherewithal to pass it to an open guy for an easy bucket, makes it 71-69. Without that, just whatever gene that, that takes in that moment um, to defeat the odds, really, without that, they don't win the game. He doesn't even get a ch- chance for that three-pointer. Yeah, no, I, I thought he came through in that moment. And after the game, I mean, Jerome Tang – you know, the, the shooting numbers weren't there again for Tyler Perry for the entirety of it, but he praised a lot of the other things that he did in the game. He, he said that he thought he had a great game, uh, did things that they liked in the first half defensively and in other uh, areas. So, I mean, I, I think that there is a way for it to work. And also, like last night, Villanova came out. Their number one goal was to make sure Tyler Perry did not get any open looks or anything that resembled an open look from three. It was face guarding to the max and the second he got it he was getting doubled like they wanted to give no room to this tiny little guard uh and k-state was able to make enough plays happen elsewhere and now the hope would be arthur kaluma shows out like he did 26 points nine boards um get him the ball more let him create more because there are too many times last night where will mcnair and david gasson were having to make three or more dribbles on a touch uh if if you're going to have a guy do that that isn't a guard, let it be Arthur Kaluma because he made things happen last night. And I think at this point in the season, uh, you just hope that the aggressiveness sticks around and he is probably your your number one option in terms of like majority of the game. Now, late game, when you need something, obviously Tyler Perry seems to be that guy. And I think, um, you know, this is this this was started by talking with Fan last night, but he thinks that it's all just kind of in Tyler Perry's head, the struggles. And I kind of agree. I think 
I think he, he's trying to process too much. He's too in his head about, do I take the shot? Do I not? And so when he does decide to take a shot, it comes too late in the process. And that's when you get a bad result. I, I think you want more from Tyler Perry to just let it fly early. And for Arthur Kaluma, get him the ball more. Let the guy do what he can, can because uh, he is probably, as things currently stand, playing the best for K-State. Yeah, Kaluma's playing the best. I said before my bold predictions that two guys would score 20 or more, but I said it would be Perry and Carter. It turned out it was more what Carter and Kaluma, but Perry had the big shots. Yeah. When you're getting – when Perry's still producing in the clutch and you're getting – what you got from Carter and Kaluma, that's kind of the big three at this point. Like those are the three, your three, your big three came through. I guess is what I'm saying. Like if Kansas State's going to be good, Cam Carter has to be good. Arthur Kaluma has to be good. Tyler Perry has to be good. For much of the night, I get it. Tyler Perry wasn't good, but he's good when he, when it counted. And, and at the end of the day, that, that still works, you know, at least it worked against Villanova. So um, I think, they need Tyler Perry to be the best shooter in America. I think that he is, or at least that he's capable of it. I'm not saying he's not, but he's just got to, instead of it being, you know, a statement, you know, in a press conference or that I write, because I believe that Tyler Perry is the best three-point shooter in America, he's got to go do it too. And it could be, could be in his head because, you know, in those moments where he's coming through and he's hitting the clutch threes, mm-hmm. there is less thinking in those situations. Yeah, no, I yeah, I 100% agree with that. Uh, and I just think, think less, let it go. You you can do this and, you know, all the struggles, whatever. And I think we also saw that, like, in, in desperate times in, like, the game against Miami where, where you, you know, where things started to, to kind of fall and, like, other games throughout the year where it's like, you can get hot, like, just you can play with a little bit more. I mean, honestly, at first I was concerned that Tyler Perry would come in here and try and play like Marquise Noel. Uh, even though, like, there, you know, there's a little bit of difference in how they they play, but I, I honestly think at this stage, Jerome Tang needs to to have the you know the vitamin conversation with Tyler Perry, where it's like you can take some of those that you know most would consider a bad shot, like have the confidence, go ahead and do it. Uh, and I think the more that we see that, the probably the better that Tyler Perry's game will work out. Because here's the thing, like I was I was asking Fan about this last night, like how much of his shots at North Texas were coming like off of just being catch and shoot or like in a position to grab it and, and let it fly as opposed to creating his own shot. And it was like, well, 55% of his shots there came off the dribble. So like he can do it. And it's not like the, the size and the talent that he's faced so far this season is all that different than what he saw at North Texas. Like, yes, you've played three high major opponents, but we've seen struggles against bad teams. That's why, the end of the day, it does seem like it's probably a confidence thing for him. And uh, obviously, if there's a, a coach and a staff that can get him to be more confident and get him in the right headspace, it's absolutely Jerome Tang and, and this crew. They know how to do that for these guys. Uh, but last night, doesn't matter how it looked at times, a lot of positives. You beat Villanova. Now go take care of business in Baton Rouge and uh, see what next week brings when uh, you, you get kind of a week off in the Nebraska and Wichita State in rapid succession. Yeah, I. You go four and zero in that stretch. You feel great about yourself. We said three and one was okay. Yeah, and now I do think they go four and zero. This last night was the game that I thought they could lose, even though I said yesterday I thought K State would win. Uh, LSU's, I, I LSU's a trap game, though. I think. Yep. Yeah. 
we'll see uh, what the the Tigers bring about. But all right, well, that will do it for us here on the KSO show. Covered a lot with Colin Klein, Avery Johnson, K State basketball, all that stuff. If more news comes out, we will obviously have it for you over at K-State Online. You can find us on On3, and then also stay locked into everything going on here with the YouTube and the podcast platforms to keep you up to date on the Wildcats and in the know with the fun and not-so-fun situations that uh, surround K-State at this point in time. So for Derek Young, I am Mason Vo. Thank you for watching K-State Online.